You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. My name is David. I serve as pastor for Creative Arts. And as Pastor Brad is away, it is my privilege and pleasure to preach this morning on the third week of Advent, the week of joy. If you've grown up in the church, you may be familiar with much of the circumstances surrounding Jesus' birth. If you've grown up in America, you may be familiar with the overly commercialized version of the events surrounding Jesus' birth. A Charlie Brown Christmas will give you a glimpse of Jesus. Elf, not so much. Uh, if, you, if you haven't been raised in these parts, you may have very different holiday traditions. Uh, if you haven't heard the biblical account of Jesus' birth, you may not know there's some truly fascinating things that occur. We'll celebrate a lot of those biblical events next week during our version of Behold the Lamb of God, the best Christmas album ever written by Andrew Peterson. So since they aren't touring through North Carolina this year, we decided we needed to do our take on it, which includes a lot of participation from our children's ministry and a great group of students and adults constituting a choral ensemble and a bells choir. So as much work as next week has taken, it is completely worth it when just one person says... And that helped me understand why Jesus had to be born to die. So I hope you can make it. Each of the four Gospels has their own take on how to get the story of Jesus going. So Matthew's account includes a genealogy for Jesus, the interaction that Joseph has with messengers from God, and the family's flight to Egypt to flee Herod's terrible tantrum, and of course the visit from the three kings or the wise men from the east. Mark jumps straight into the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, like getting right to the action. John, however, starts with this poetic, deeply theological reminder that Jesus existed with God the Father before time began, before moving to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Luke begins with the birth of Jesus' cousin, John the Baptizer, a genealogy that goes all the way back to Adam and the interaction that Mary has with an angel, a messenger from God, and the eventful trip to Bethlehem nine months later. So when you put all these accounts together, you get the amazing story of Jesus' birth in its fullness. A story so powerful that it really takes a month or longer, definitely more than 12 days, uh, to celebrate it and its implications. I mean, while singing Christmas carols, I am often convicted that we should be singing these all year round. Because the incarnation is the first part of God's promises being answered. His promise to redeem his people with the death and resurrection being the other part of the answer. But go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 1. We'll have the scripture on the screen too, but if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 1 or swipe there. Traditionally, we would ask that you stand uh, for the reading of God's word, but since I'll be reading a rather long narrative text, you may remain seated. But lift your hearts to the Lord, even if your posture doesn't change this morning. So we'll start in verse 26, but the main focus of this morning is 46 through 55, which we've just heard beautifully sung for us. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. 
And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. This is the word of God for the people of God. So thanks be to God. As I alluded during the children's sermon, Mary broke out into song at this tremendous news, especially when she got together with her relative, Elizabeth. My wife and I have four beautiful children, and each time we learned that a baby was coming, the news was met with exclamations. (laughs) Sarah will tell you that I didn't exclaim quite loud enough, maybe, but there were tears and joy and emotion that you couldn't just keep on the inside. And actually, this is kind of a random observation, but the way that Buddy the Elf responds to the announcement of Santa coming, that's what I'm trying to describe, okay? So, in fact, all followers of Jesus could react like Buddy when someone mentions Jesus. Jesus! Jesus is coming! I know him! As we celebrate Jesus' first advent and anticipate his second advent, it should stir in us something like that kind of joy and excitement. The king who gives all good gifts to us, his children. He's coming, and we know him, and he knows us, and he loves us. Although we don't know maybe as much as we want to about Mary, uh, she is described a little bit between all the gospel accounts. So we know that she loved to sing, as we find here. But she also, she pondered things in her heart. She thought about things like an introvert might. But even though she pondered things in her heart and considered joyful things in quiet, she couldn't keep from singing at this news. 
So I'm going to walk through Mary's song and make some observations and then give us three points to consider for us as we continue through this Advent season. So keep your finger on 46 through 55 as we walk through. First, as you might imagine for a worship leader, uh, I'm enamored by this song. It is also called a canticle. Uh, it's a song that's found in the New Testament. There's multiple songs of this type there. It's, it's so beautiful to me that Mary responds to such joy in singing. I mean, as I mentioned before, Clara and Rosie, and even Judah and Jesse, love to sing randomly around the house. Uh, when they're happy and just enjoying what they're doing, a song usually slips out. Usually it's like a song tune that's familiar, but words that fit whatever's happening in that moment. So, Rosie! Um, so then, we also need to establish, though, what joy is, right? Because that's the theme for this whole week, and it's the root of Mary's musical reaction. So Mary rejoices. She displays joy. So I've found the following distinction to be helpful for me. That joy is, is more than happiness. Although we can casually kind of use these words as synonyms, happy and happiness is an emotion that tends to be more of a temporary come-and-go quality. But joy, however, is a state of being. It is a deeply rooted and, in that way, more stable source of happiness. So whereas happiness may be affected more directly by the wind and the rain and the storms of life, joy's roots run deep, and it's less directly impacted especially if our joy is in the Lord, the cornerstone, the rock of our salvation. So in verse 46 and 47, Mary rejoices in God. She rejoices, she displays joy in reaction to incredible news. And here's where Mary helps illustrate this definition of joy because her joy, her delight is in God. Her joy is not in the news she was just given. Her joy is not in the idea of being pregnant. Her joy is in God. And even baby John in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy, rejoices in the presence of Jesus. Mary rejoices in the giver, not the gift. What a gift. But even with the actual salvation of the world as her gift Mary rejoices in the giver of the gift. And that joy is deep. It is persistent. Even 30 some odd years later, when Jesus is killed while she watches, there's joy underneath her sorrow, ready to reemerge, just as the gift Jesus would reemerge. We don't have it recorded in Scripture, but I wonder what that first meeting was like. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus meeting his mother again for the first time. I wonder if she started humming or if she even broke out into a song of joy with him. But her first song of joy, it's from our text here in Luke, it situates that joy in God, the giver of all good things. Mary has no hesitation about recognizing who she is compared to the most high God. Whereas many of us have been marketed to in ways that convince us of our own worth and worthiness, Mary doesn't expect to be catered to. She doesn't demand immediate gratification. Rather, she honestly recognizes her humble estate. She recognizes that she is a young girl, probably an early teenager, 
not much older than the young ladies who just sang for us. Let that sink in. Mary, in her joy, does not lose sight of her context, but she doesn't miss the implications of this announcement either. Mary doesn't celebrate what her blessings do for her, but rather what they do for all of Israel. This is significant, especially in the age of gender reveal shenanigans and baby moons and all that fun stuff that we should rightly celebrate pregnancy and life. But what is significant here is that Mary doesn't just celebrate her pregnancy for her, but she recognizes that it has implications for all of Israel. And maybe she even realized all of the world. Mary, did you know? This particular song that she sings hints that she knew more than we might imagine. But how would Mary know? How would Mary have known the implications of her pregnancy? How would she have connected what Gabriel announced with anything outside of her room at that moment hearing that crazy news? Mary remembers God's promises and trusts him to be faithful. Mary has heard the scripture taught, presumably through regular patterns of life as a Jewish girl, going to the synagogue, learning the Shema, participating in Passover, She probably could remember quite a few Passovers at this point, and she would have sung the Psalms and the Old Testament canticles or songs in both the synagogue and maybe at home. So through those regular, ordinary ways of living, Mary had been taught God's promises, and she had celebrated his faithfulness to keep his promises, to deliver his people. She had language for responding to this great announcement because she remembered God's promises. One of the answered promises that she remembers clearly is Hannah and Samuel. So Mary's song reflects a lot of the canticle that Hannah sings in 1 Samuel. When God chooses to end her barrenness and give her a son, Hannah sings for joy at that announcement, even as she promises to give that child over to God. Mary had probably heard that song a few times, maybe even sung that song. So when she has a similar experience of joy over the news of bearing a miraculous child, she's not completely lost for words. There's a song for that. And then Mary's song moves to a steady pattern of praising God's might, God's work, God's plan. All are the outworking of God keeping his promises. Because Mary remembers remembers who she is in light of God's holiness, And because she recognizes that all the amazing things in Israel's history point back to God's goodness, she has a framework to process what Gabriel just announced. She has a framework for beginning to get her head around what God might be doing in and through her because of what God has already done. He is mighty. He is holy. He is merciful to those who fear him. For those who've been here a bit and heard me preach before, you won't be surprised to know that the word translated mercy here closely correlates to chesed. Say it with me, chesed. That's God's covenant love in Hebrew. It's his covenant faithfulness, his gracious acts of kindness in times of need. And and those who fear him, that doesn't mean those who cower from him or are afraid of him, but rather those who have proper awe of him who recognize his power with respect and reverence. Hopefully, that's the fear that characterizes all of us who are in covenant with God through Jesus. Awe, respect, reverence, and anticipation of God doing what he promised. Mary's song reminds us that he has shown strength. He has kept his promises. 
And Mary's song reminds us that he has scattered the proud, brought down the mighty. And this, this is a little bit harder for us, I think. For Mary, a young woman of color, of course, before that was the concept that it is now, but there were pretty clear class and racial distinctions in the first century. And the political power dynamics were maybe even more obvious than they are now. The Jewish people were marginalized and subjugated people group. Yet God made promises to them. And again, remembering the Passover, Pharaoh was proud and powerful, but God inverted that power dynamic in rescuing his people. The way Mary is singing, she's using verbs that point back to what God's already done, but imply what God is currently doing. So it's not that God has in the past scattered the proud, but that he is scattering the proud, and he will scatter the proud. Sometimes we need the anchor of what's been seen or heard to be true, to help us trust what doesn't seem true at this moment. This is like the songs that sustained enslaved black Christians. They would sing of God's goodness, of his saving work, of his deliverance, even when it wasn't visibly happening at that moment. Black spirituals are a powerful, enduring music form because they resonate on deep levels of the human experience. The proud, the mighty, they will be brought down. The humble will be lifted up. And sometimes we have to sing that in the face of the total opposite experience. When we feel that we're postured as humble, but we're being trampled. The Lord is far off. And thankfully, we have songs for that feeling too, from the songbook of the Bible, the Psalms. Mary reminds us in song that God has and will fill the hungry with good things and send away the rich empty. And this seems to me to be another play on words from my perspective as a sometimes songwriter anyway. It's also a grammar lesson in biblical interpretation and translation from Greek into English. So you know about the Oxford comma, right, and the debate over its importance? Okay, so it's the difference between I rode on a bus with some crazy people, Brad and Ricky. Or, I rode on a bus with some crazy people, Brad and Ricky. Or, how about this? Uh, If you're online, you've got to listen to the comma situation and kind of visualize it. But, I dedicate this book to my parents, Sarah and God. Just that one comma can give me the impression that I have a Jesus complex as I preach about Jesus' mom's pregnancy announcement. So, it's rather important. And so in our text, there's a potential comma that sits in this phrase, the rich are sent away empty, or the rich are sent away empty. I think that the rich, as the Bible understands them as a category, are empty from the start. They aren't just sent away empty, but they come empty in the first place. They've been trying to fill their emptiness with riches, which will not satisfy, which is, of course, way easier to say than to practice in middle-class America. But I think the rich are also sent away from God's presence without receiving anything. So they're sent away empty in that sense, too. Just like the example of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus. He goes away empty in both senses of the word. He came to Jesus with an empty longing in the first place. And then he goes away without receiving the satisfying gift of following Jesus. And here at the end of her song, Mary again recognizes her place in the community of Israel. And her blessing is for all of Israel, not just her, because God spoke it to her forefathers. 
It's a very clear reminder that the story God is telling encompasses the whole world. The part that each of us play in God's story is woven together with the family of God who sit all around you right now. And when God blesses you, it's not just for you. It's for his glory and the good of those around you too. That's why the testimonies shared two weeks ago were so meaningful. And why the testimonies shared at student ministry on Wednesday night were similarly meaningful. Although the person sharing is the individual who received blessing or encouragement, by bearing witness to that, all the rest of us are blessed and encouraged and reminded that even if we're not directly receiving or recognizing God's goodness, he is still good. He has been good. He is good. He will be good to us for his glory. For those who fear him, there is mercy. There is chesed. There is loving kindness. And this is for the offspring of Abraham forever. And when I was a kid and we sang Father Abraham in Sunday school, the churchy hokey pokey, if you will. As a child, though, I didn't grasp what we were singing. I I thought we were either pretending to be one of the 12 sons of Jacob or that we were pretending to be Jewish because in the song you have to dance and we don't dance in church, y'all. So I literally, it wasn't until college that I realized, oh, this is a spiritual metaphor. I am a son of Abraham if I'm in Jesus because Jesus, by his birth, life, death, and resurrection, he makes it possible for me, a Gentile, to be grafted into the family, to be adopted into the family. So I've become part of the family of Abraham, spiritually, not forensically or genetically. So I guess I'll give six-year-old me a pass, but for being too literal, but I still feel kind of silly about it. Because Mary is singing Father Abraham at the end of this. She's singing about us. But did she know? Here's what this song means for us. Live humbly. Remember rightly who we are and who God is. That's why we sing what we sing when we gather and why we submit to God's word when we come together weekly. The spiritual discipline of regular corporate worship helps us remember rightly who we are and who God is. And that helps us to be humble, to take a humble posture, not only before God, but before each other, and even to live humbly before the world. Mary's song also echoes Micah 6.8, which surely Mary would have heard. Because what does the Lord require of us? But to do justly, to love chesed, or mercy, and to walk humbly with God. So live humbly, walking with God, in step with the Holy Spirit, and God will lift you up. And remember the contrasts here, Right? The hungry and the humble, the rich and the mighty, those are consistent biblical contrasts. So if you find yourself easily described with these biblical categories of powerful, mighty, or rich, and their connotations of self-righteousness, self-sufficiency, self-glorification, and selfishness, if you have that reputation in your workplace, in your family, remember Mary's song, choose to repent. And follow Jesus and his way of living. Because God will ultimately scatter and bring low, even if your riches and power make you feel comfortable at times, for now. Also, Mary's song means that we should remember and trust God's promises. So sing songs that help us remember God's promises. 
There are some lovely Christmas songs that celebrate the gift of Jesus' birth. There are also some earworms that will haunt you long into January. So maybe make a choice to steer the algorithms of your preferred streaming service towards songs that reinforce gospel things instead of all I want for Christmas is you. Uh, Consider singing at home with your family, as Mary's family surely did, to cultivate this kind of response in her. But throughout the year, use songs that help you remember rightly who God is, what God has promised, so that we can implicitly cultivate trust in his promises. Talk about God's promises with your family, with your friends. God promised to break the power of sin and death. It took a couple years for that to come to pass, but God kept his promise at the right time, in the fullness of time, as the scripture says. During this season of Advent, we just had one big family gathering. We'll probably have one or two more, and our kids will be home from school and unless they're always home from school, and there will be opportunities for conversation at home. It will increase at least a little bit. Sorry, introverts. But talk about God's promises. Talk about Jesus. Talk about why Jesus had to come in the first place, to be born, to die. Talk about God's promises. God promised that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, but also the heel of the serpent crusher would be bruised. So the enemy is defeated, This is another one of those grammar verb things. The enemy was defeated, is currently defeated, and will be defeated. In the meantime, however, the enemy still operates from the position of defeat to mock and twist God's will for us. Now, I'll be honest. I've struggled as an educated American PhD to remember rightly that there are forces at work that we can't see or quantify with current science. There are powers who have a limited yet substantial agency in the real spiritual world. And yet, God has promised power in us that is greater than the power of the world. Now, I tend to remember those promises when I talk about them, when I read them, when I engage with them. So exercise trust in God's promises. This is going to look different for every circumstance, for every person, but God's grace is sufficient for every circumstance you're going to face. He promised that. So exercising trust may be talking about it when you're struggling with it yourself. Exercising trust in God's promises may be praying for that one who doesn't believe the gospel and seems like they couldn't care less. Praying anyway. Exercising trust in God's promises may mean meditating on God's word some during this season. Spending time with him in that way because he has promised to do things through his word. Exercising trust may mean that when you're in a position in which you could allow yourself to feel anxious or defeated, you choose instead to trust God's promise that he'll care for you. So you cast your anxiety on him. You choose to let go of the things you're holding on to so that he can bear that weight with you or maybe even instead of you. So when I say exercise trust, I don't necessarily mean like do a trust fall off your couch and let the angels catch you, but maybe if that's what works for you. There are many more daily, simple, ordinary ways, though, to exercise trust in God. And the more that you discipline yourself to see that and choose that, trust becomes more implicit in your heart and in your mind. And finally, Mary's song shows us that to rejoice in the giver, not the gifts. This is what I needed to hear at this season of gift giving. 
And we just spent a ton of money yesterday buying gifts for people. I love to give gifts, especially ones I've thought about or I feel like I've creatively chosen for somebody. So it's not necessarily one of my love languages. But at birthdays and Christmas, I really enjoy the puzzle of figuring out something meaningful for somebody. I actually consider it a failure on my part if I give a gift card. But if you want to give me gift cards, I will consider all joy, my brothers. But I must not be careful to situate my joy in the gift. How much deeper is the joy of my relationship with that giver, with with my wife, with my kids, with my mom and brother, with my home group family, with my staff family, with my extended family that live across the country that I don't get to see that often? We should rejoice in the giver of gifts, not the gifts themselves. So as you open presents in two weeks, if it's more Star Wars socks or AirPods or whatever, look that giver in the eye and rejoice in that relationship. Demonstrate joy, sorry introverts, in thankfulness, in a hug, in a meaningful conversation later in the day, in public affirmation, whatever rejoicing may look like for you. Even greater still, rejoice in the giver of all good gifts. Demonstrate joy in the triune God, the Father who gives his Son, the Son who gives his life, the Spirit who is gift, who seals us into relationship with this incredible God. God the Father knew the effects of sin could not be resolved by human effort. He made a covenant promise to reconcile us to himself. Ultimately, God's plan was to send his own son, Jesus, to be born as a human. So the only being, fully God and fully man, he lived a sinless life that exemplified the law of God and the love of God, the life God wanted for all of humanity before sin broke all that down. As Jesus was then killed by the proud and the mighty, his death was actually the plan. For because he humbled himself to God's will, because he was sacrificed for the sin of all of us, God raised him to life through the power of the Holy Spirit as yet another promise that he will keep. The one day we too will have unbroken fellowship with God in bodies that will not fail for all time. The father gives his only son. The son gives his life. And the Spirit is the gift that enables us to give our lives back to God for his glory and for the good of the world. So rejoice in the giver, not the gifts. Rejoice in this giver who indeed gives himself, who is the gift. He's the incarnational exception, if you will. Rejoicing in the gift of Jesus is also rejoicing in the giver. But it's possible for us to lose our focus on the giver in light of some unbelievable gifts that we get. Eternal life, peace, happiness, salvation from sin, salvation from death, a spiritual family, a sense of purpose, rich doctrine and theology. All of these are good, good gifts from God. But may our joy never be limited to be rooted in these gifts. Rejoice in the one who gives all these things. Demonstrate joy that is centered in, rooted in, resting in God, our Father, who has demonstrated his great love for us by sending his son to be born to Mary, who sang this song. So that Jesus would live and die for God's glory 
and for our good. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word that bears testimony to your goodness and your faithfulness. May we remember rightly the truth. We thank you for time to gather and to hear the word, to spend time with you and with each other. I pray that these ideas, these themes, these truths would ring long in our ears. Pray that you would give us opportunity to demonstrate the joy that we have in you. And we love you and we thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing in response? Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.